You're listening to WNYC. I'm Matt Katz, filling in for Allison Stewart today. Listeners, before we get to the next segment, I want to let you know that our conversation is going to deal with suicide. If at any time you need support, please call or text the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 988. That's all you have to do. Just call 988. Over the course of just a few weeks, two life-changing events happened to writer Sloan Crossley. First, her apartment was broken into and ransacked. Family heirlooms were stolen. Sloan was uneasy about this violation and determined to recover the jewelry. Then, just a few weeks later, a much bigger tragedy, Sloan's best friend Russell, her former boss and the executive director of publicity at Vintage Books, dies by suicide. Sloan is left unmoored by grief and in her mind combines these two events. If only she can recover the lost jewelry, maybe time will rewind and her friend will return. Sloan captures her grieving process and paints a brilliant portrait of her friend Russell in her new memoir, Grief is for People. It is beautiful and it is out now. Sloan will be speaking tonight at 6.30 at the Barnes & Nobles in Union Square. But first, she joins me now to discuss. Hi, Sloan. Hi. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you here. Listeners, we want to open the phones to you. So have you lost someone you love to suicide? What was something that helped you through that grieving experience? We want to hear from those who have lost someone to suicide. 212-433-9692. That's 212-433-WNYC. And again, the National Suicide Hotline number is 988. So Russell died in 2019. Uh, I'm curious when you felt ready to write this book. Is this Were pieces of this something you started to jot down in the immediate aftermath of yeah. his death? I'm almost fighting the urge to say I'm still waiting. <laughs> but yes, I mean, I, I had the burglary, which I thought would make for... Um, an essay, if nothing else, you know, there's one of those things where when you're a writer, you think, well, I can squeeze something out of this, sure. out of this lemon. Um, and this was a fairly uh, large citrus fruit to yes. the, the burglary. Um, and then Russell died exactly one month later to the hour and something else happened. It just became bigger. And I kept taking notes, not necessarily for a book. I wasn't sure where it was going to go. Um because I really had this strong feeling like if I didn't write it down, it would be like losing him twice. Mm-hmm. And then when you started writing it down, because you, you open with the with the burglary. We, we know Russell's had passed from the from the jump and but it but the the story begins with the the burglary. Um, did you know that those two things would be intertwined? Were you writing kind linked of, as it were linked? Yeah. Um, no. I mean, I think that I, I should say uh, I do know the difference between uh, a burglary sure. and um, a dear person who has died by suicide. Of course. Um, so I didn't actually really know until there was this overlap time period where this is a hopefully a rare thing, which is a suspenseful story about grief, because, I mean, we pretty much know how these things end, except for the fact that I went on a hunt to try to get some of the jewelry back. Mm -hmm. And Russell was helping me with that. So he really became part of it. And it's not like I thought that if I just got this one necklace back, he would reconstitute himself like a hologram and come spitting up in front of my face. But I really felt like if I could stop this bleed of loss, 
that maybe everything would be okay. Um, and this is commonly known as magical thinking. In writing this, in putting all of these thoughts, feelings, sometimes humor down on paper, um, did that help with the grieving process? Did that make it uh, somehow just, did, did that feel like the right thing that you needed to be doing to help deal with this thing? I mean, it's a great question, and I don't want to discourage people who write with that intent uh -huh. when I say that it made it so much worse. <laughs> because you were living in it all the time? Yeah, it extended it to the point where when I finished the last paragraph, I really felt, okay, now we can begin. Mm. I really felt that. Um, but it's worth it. You have to pick these things wisely because I think there's a huge piece of me in all my nonfiction, both the humorous essays and in this. And I think I'm offering up a piece of myself to spin out in the world for as long as the world will have me. Um, and is it worth it? And in this case, the answer was a, a resounding yes. It was worth it because it could help other people. Yeah, because it could help other people, because I could tell a story in a unique way that's actually quite a common story, which is a common story of grief and of friendship. And I could pay tribute to and write this elegy to um, not only this person who I love so much, but people who work behind the scenes in the arts in general. Mm -hmm. And then so you said after you finished writing, then you could kind of begin the grieving process but now yeah. you're now it's out there in the world and now you're talking about it every day right you're you're Barnes what and Nobles, you're done? on tv is that i will not cry on stage at bnn <laughs> i say not promising right. really um you no know, of course because the thing is but you know time passes and these things take a different shape and so what i'm left with now is both my personal memories of my friend and this different form of him in a book. And he was so social. He was like pathologically social. Right. And as hokey as this sounds, I'm bringing him more people. Yeah. I hate to say friends. That's so, a little silly, but people. <laughs> sure. So he would have been pleased at this idea of you publishing this book? Who knows? I mean, that's the thing is, you know, when someone dies by suicide, you go and you wade as far as you possibly can into what you know of them um, using sort of those pathways of, of context clues. Sure. But there's a limit. The bridge only goes halfway through. So I don't really know. I think he would be proud of me. I think he'd like the book. This is also someone, though, who was clearly at the end inclined towards self-erasure. So I think it might take him a while to get around to reading a book about himself. Yeah. Well, let's, let's, let's rewind a little bit. Tell us your impression of Russell when you first met. I'm gladly. I mean, this is, it's it's such a, I mean, it's a funny book, but it's also a dark book. And so much of it is a nightmare. But this part of of saying, you know, going on a, on a well-listened to show and saying, tell me about your friend, of course. So he hired me uh, to work at Vintage Books. And I worked for him for 10 years in the publicity department. Um, it's an imprint of, of Random House, for those who don't know. Um, and I wasn't even sure if I wanted to take the job, which is, is a ridiculously bratty thing um, that I did. And I asked to come in for a second interview, which is crazy in yeah. today's media landscape that yeah. I did that. Um, and he leaned across the table and he said, you know, after I was done sort of pouring out all these questions, and he said, what What are you doing? And I'm like, excuse me? He's like, it's like you've been admitted to Harvard, but first you need a tour of the bathrooms. <laughs> Go pick a book. And if you don't like it, you don't have to work here. I'm like, okay. And I picked Heartburn by Nora Ephron. And then I worked for him for 10 years. Wow. And we became friends the way 
people do. It's, it was like a partnership where, you know, the roles change. It bleeds into lunch and bleeds into outside the office. Um, and he was a very important person for me. The, he was he was a boss uh, and he was a friend. Mm-hmm. How did that get and he, complicated and a sometimes? casual maniac. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he... He had difficulty um, reining in his wit when it wasn't appropriate. Now, I should say that though he was a difficult boss and though he had some problems at work, he fought for people's raises. He was a very generous person. He was very caring to the people who worked underneath him. So when we think about a sort of someone who's inappropriate work at work, that might be someone who's, you know, you get into sort of sexual harassment territory and things like that. But he did say some inappropriate things. I remember at some point my assistant walked in and she wore this sort of um, conservative but tight-fitting cardigan. And he looked at her <laughs> and without skipping a beat, he said, oh, my God, it's like you walked into Talbot's and said, give me the sluttiest thing you have. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> and clearly had to pull her over uh, afterwards to ask if she was okay. Right. And she was. But, you know, I think that you know, it's all fun and games until it didn't really fit in. But it wasn't necessarily his behavior that closed in on him. I think it was a world that was less interested in books. While the interior, you know, the internal pressure um, to get press for them remained the same. You know as well as anyone here that the outlets, you know, to to promote books start dwindling. Sure. And the role of a publicist And the role of a publicist. No, this is, this, this is not. This is a piece of the sort of dark, trivial pursuit, you know, board that led to, to what happened. This right. isn't, you know, what happened, but it didn't help. I, I wanted you to read an excerpt, if you're okay. I'm okay. That. Are you um, okay? Yeah, I'm okay. I'd okay. love to hear you read a piece. Um, I had I had pulled something, but do you want to set, do we need to set it up Do we need to set it up? Um, let's see. Let's just take a little gander on yeah. live radio. <laughs> um, I think it's okay. okay. I think it's okay. I think we're good. Okay. Let's, let's hear. Uh, because it's really, well, I guess the only setup is this is the, again, the hinge, if you will. Yeah, sure. Uh, or one of the points of, of hinge between the burglary loss and the loss of a human being. Very good. This is uh, from Grief, for, Grief is for People from Sloan Crosley. Okay. A grief support group seems at once dramatic and doable. I won't be so proprietary about the burglary around other burglarized people. It will feel good to show deference the second anyone says says masked or gunpoint. But when I look for a place to go, I can't find one. There are spaces, some literal, some virtual, for those left behind by cancer, heart attacks, or natural disasters. There are conversations meant for widows and parents and children. But there are no bereavement groups for stuff. They don't exist. I'm sorry your house blew up, but it was only a house. Grief is for people, not things. Everyone on the planet seems to share in this understanding. Almost everyone. People like Russell and people like me now, we don't know where sadness belongs We tend to scrape up all the lonely, echoing, unknowable parts of ourselves and drop them in drawers or hang them from little wooden shelves, injecting our feelings into objects that won't judge or abandon us, holding on to the past in this tangible way. But everyone else, everyone else has their priorities straight. It's very, it's very moving, Sloan. Thank you. 
What have you come to understand might be unique about the grief that's experienced by loved ones who are mourning a death by suicide as opposed to all the other myriad kinds of loss that we might experience in a life? The way I describe it in the book is that it's math. You work backwards instead of forwards. So you're not preparing. It's not like your parents. It's not like someone who's been diagnosed with something. By the way, I'm not implying these things are picnics. I'm just saying that it's different. Um, With this, there's this feeling of a sudden moment, a fulcrum moment that you missed that you know, you not that you I think it's sort of hubris to imply you could have stopped somebody when people say, you know, either did you know or could you have done anything? And I, I, this is not a David Foster Wallace situation. This is a cogent 52 year old man who I couldn't chain to a radiator if I tried. You know, he just he was going to have his own motivations. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I learned that you have to get that sort of um, extra layer, that outer layer of guilt off of you so that you can properly mourn the person you loved and so that their death does not cannibalize their life. Mm -hmm. I don't know if people have that. I doubt they have it. I mean, I have had uh, close uh, people close to me die of cancer, of of other natural causes, and I haven't thought, well, this now is taking over this visual, this this horrible um, moment is taking over, you know, 60% of how well I knew them. But with a suicide, there is the danger of that. And part of the book is that it's joyous. I had a whole wonderful relationship with this person that had nothing to do with his last act of free will. Yeah, right. It, it does feel joyous at, at times. And it and it feels funny. I mean, I know. <laughs> I know. That's such an obnoxious thing to say. I know. <laughs> but, but, it, <laughs> it, but And it's not just dark humor, although I guess there's some of that. But it's just in the... I mean, it's him. I mean, I, I know it's him ridiculous and, you, and to your just relationship. Say it. Yeah, but it's it's. I mean, some of the dialogue is his. The Talbots bit. So I didn't say that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have. Right. <laughs> yeah. You uh, when you were talking about the 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 uniqueness of uh, dealing with a loved one dies by suicide, you said that uh, the phrase from other people when you experience this loss, "Did you know?" should mm. be banned. So I can I should amend that slightly. I okay. think anything that you say that's authentic should not be banned. So if someone huh. is asking, you know, you find out that uh, your friend's friend died by suicide, and you say, did you know? There's a way to convey that you're asking that because you're concerned about your own loved ones. And then there's a way to say it as a knee-jerk response where the answer doesn't really matter. It's not about me who's grieving. Mm-hmm. It's certainly not about the dead person. It's not helping them. And it's like a knee-jerk kind of rubbernecking of a horrible story. And I don't think anyone means anything bad by it. Right, right. Not a single thing. Um, It's just the first question that comes to people's minds. But uh, my more sort of grace-granting self would say that people are asking because it's so scary. It's so scary, and they're trying to use your story to scan their own lives and that's okay. It's just that it's not helpful to the grieving person in that moment unless it's really sincere. Sure. Is there something that you've uh, come to understand better about yourself through this process? Like, do you feel like you you know how you tick a little bit huh. better than, than you might have before you went through this? Yeah, I think, I, I think if there is something like that, it's to be found in the passage I read a little bit, which is that 
I really loved Russell in the way that I think adults don't really love each other. I really looked up to him. Mm. I wanted our tastes to be the same. It was almost like an immature kind of relationship where I'm like, well, what are you wearing to class today? (laughs) You know, except mentally. (laughs) Um, And I think that part of that is he had such an affection for objects. He had such uh, – he was a big person. At the, he loved a flea market. You know, it wasn't enough for you to just, like, hold this heinous ashtray shaped like a flamingo that he had purchased. You had to agree about how great it was. And he held on to the past in all these different ways. He loved classic books, which was perfectly healthy, old Hollywood movies. But he really dwelled there. And I think I have learned to let things go more than he did in life. Yeah. So when we're going to – have to leave it there. Okay. Uh, we we didn't take any callers, but we oh, no. uh, got to hear your experience. And thank you for sharing this story with the world. Oh, and, you're, uh, you're welcome. And thank you for having me here. It's great. Grief is for People is out now by Sloan Crosley. Thank you, Sloan. Thanks. <laughs>